Well, this morning we're going to continue in the series we've been in as we are going through the book of Daniel, and uh, the series is Living in Babylon, and I say this every week, we're wrestling with this question over and over and over again. How do we live for God's kingdom when we reside in this kingdom? And I want to say this, look at me for a second, hear this, if you aren't wrestling with how to stay faithful to God in this world, then there might be a problem. If you don't experience tension in your life because you're trying to stay faithful to God in this world, there might be a problem because you should be experiencing tension. The kingdom of this world is operating in a different way from the kingdom of our God. And so we have to be wrestling. There should be tension. Tension should be expected as a follower of Christ. Young person, it's great and it's exciting to go at the altars and say, God, I give you everything, but there will be tension the moment you walk into your school, the moment you walk into your business place, the moment you walk into your family and your home and the rest of them ain't serving Jesus. There is tension there. And so this is why we talk about this. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most famous stories in Scripture, and I believe God has a strong word for us, all right? Got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, to Daniel 6, 13, all right? Would you stand with me as we're going to read those few verses together? I'm just going to give you a few verses of this story. It says this, Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Let's pray. Father, we need this word. We need to hear from you today. God, if we're going to be faithful to you, God, we need to get a hold of these truths. And so God, I pray this morning that, that we would hear your voice. We wouldn't get distracted by me and even the things I say, but we would be caught up with what you have to say to our hearts. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now, we've all got our favorite foods, right? Everybody's got your favorite food. If there was one meal you can have, turn to your neighbor, tell them. If you had one thing that you could eat, only one thing, you got one last meal, what would it be? Turn to your neighbor, tell them. Chicken nuggets? (laughs) All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm disappointed because I'm pretty sure I heard someone say chicken nuggets was their favorite meal. Okay, you need to raise the bar for what your expectations are, folks. Okay, so I, you guys have heard me talk about food a lot, you know, you know I'm a, how much I love ice cream, you know how much I love brownies and cosmic brownies, all those kind of things, but if I had one meal, just one meal, my favorite food on planet earth is this, an Italian beef sandwich from Portillo's. Anybody, okay, anybody ever have a Chicago style Italian beef sandwich? Okay, if you have not, you need to go there today, okay? 
praise the Lord, they put a Portillo's in Woodbury. And so when I really want one, I got to go drive to all the way to Woodbury to get one. It is the greatest sandwich on earth. You get it dipped. That's how you eat it. No other way around it, okay? Just, you can all go there this afternoon. That's my favorite food. But we also have the foods that we don't like, okay? And I have a problem because there's a food that I don't like that people tell me, oh, Greg, but it's good for you. You should eat it. I don't care. And the good news is that when I'm, I met Amber, I discovered that she hates the same thing I hate, and that is fish. Anybody else not like fish? Okay. I know. I should like fish. I know it's good for you and healthy, but it stinks, and it tastes funny. And when I think about it, I think about flounder from The Little Mermaid, and I get sad. <laughs> Poor little fish. It's cutting flounder up. Okay. All right, so we have the foods that we like, we have the foods that we don't like, and then there are the foods that we don't like, but we choose to eat them because we know they do something for us, right? And that food for me is broccoli. Anybody agree with me? <laughs> like, I eat broccoli. If you like broccoli, you got issues. There are better foods than that, okay? I need to take you to Portillo's. They don't serve broccoli at Portillo's. All right? Broccoli is that for me. Like, if you douse it in butter and salt, that's fine. But broccoli itself is not that good. But I eat it because it's a power food, right? It's one of those, it's good for you. It's got vitamins. It's really healthy for you. Okay, here's the deal. This message is going to be like broccoli. It's going to be one of those messages you don't necessarily want to hear this one, but it's really good for you. And it's what you need, Okay. So just stick with me, all right? We're digging into this story, as I said. This is Daniel and the lion's den. This is one of the most famous stories in Scripture and clearly the most famous story out of the book of Daniel. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, what's taking place. There is a new king in town. Persia has taken over control from Babylon. There's a new king, Darius. And king, like a good leader, he's like, I got to set this place up. I need some leaders under me. I need to raise up some leaders to help me kind of run this big, massive organization. So he brings in about 120 guys out of that he's like well I need some guys to help run those guys so he gets I'm gonna get three leaders that are gonna help me organize all these people the problem is he's, he discovers this man named Daniel and Daniel's brilliant and he's wise and he's a man of integrity he's somebody that he can trust and he's like you know what I'm just gonna put Daniel in charge of everything this guy's that amazing but all these other leaders they're like well we don't like this doesn't say why they just said they don't like the fact that he's gonna be put in charge and they say you know what? we got to take this guy out that's what we want to do and so they, they're like, let's find, they, this guy's got to have something that we can take him out with. But they look at his life and they realize, nah, he's as good as they, t they think he is. The boy doesn't have any skeletons in the closet. He is that righteous and holy. He's a good man. They said, the only way we're going to get him taken out is if we find something having to do with his religion. And so they devise a plan. They go to the king and they say, hey, king, here's what you should do to make sure that you've really got control of your nation, to make sure everyone is giving their allegiance to you. Here's what you're going to say. For an entire month, nobody can worship, nobody can pray to any God or any person except for you, King Darius. And he's like, that sounds like a good idea. So he makes the edict. He puts it out and says, nobody can do this. And these guys, they go and they look for Daniel. And where's Daniel? He's where he always is. Three times a day, it says he would open his window, he'd bow down, turn toward Jerusalem, and pray and worship his God. So the guys come, and they come to King Darius, and they say, hey, King, that guy, remember that guy? He's not listening to you. He's not doing what you said. And this messes with Darius. As you can see, he's brokenhearted because he loves that guy. He thinks he's awesome. He wants to put this guy in charge, but he realizes there's nothing I can do. When I make an edict, I can't go back on it. And so he takes this Daniel 
and he throws him into the lion's den. Now, this was something they would do. They would, they would starve lions so that they were extremely hungry and angry, and then they would drop somebody in there. And you can imagine what would take place. It says that the king was so, just so distraught by this that all night long, he's the king, he's used to eating it up and partying. He says he didn't eat a single thing and he had no entertainment brought to him. Why? Because he was overwhelmed, he was broken all night long, he couldn't sleep about this. And then the morning comes, he goes and he runs to this den to yell down, he says, Daniel, are you down there? And Daniel says, yes, I'm here. God sent an angel to close the mouths of the lions. And there wasn't a scratch on him. They bring him up out of here. And he's, King Darius is ecstatic about this. But now he's also furious because he's mad at these guys who forced him to do what he didn't want to do. And so he takes these guys, and you read the story, it's awesome. He takes these guys, his, their wives, and the children and throws them into the lion's den. And what it says is before they hit the ground, they were completely devoured. Crazy story. Daniel being rescued from the lion's den. This is one of those stories, you know, we love to, you know, we tell this in the kids' church area, and the reason we do is because kids tend to pay attention when lions are eating people, <laughs> okay? It's really, it's really easy. If the kids don't pay attention, let's go back to Daniel's in the lion's den, okay? Right, we love this kind of story. Wow, you got the bad guys, you got the good guys, you got the bad guys getting eaten by lions. This is a really good story, and it feels like there's a bow tied on the top of this, right? Everything works out the way it's supposed to, and I've heard this message preached, kind of the butterflies and unicorns version of this message preached before, and it says, says things like this. Well, God rescued Daniel, and he's going to rescue you no matter what, right? And, and I've heard people preach, just trust in Jesus, and he will always close the mouths of the lions, the problem is when you preach that message, it's not always true. I think we can give people a, a false hope to think that in every circumstance, God's always going to be the rescuing one. He's always going to save you from whatever you don't like, he'll rescue out of that. In every circumstance, you're never going to get bit. Like, I think that's a false hope because scripture teaches us some other things. Now, in Christ, it's totally true. Our God is a God who heals and rescues in every circumstance. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And the, the sting of death, that, that bite of death has been closed by Christ's work and his victory on the cross. That is available to us. But when it comes to our everyday lives, I think this story can give us sometimes a false hope. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this fully in the in the context of scripture say what is God really trying to speak to us and I think he's speaking something very important to us if you're taking notes this morning there's two points and a big so what for you the first point is this faith ain't free faith ain't free hear this it'll cost you uh, how many of you like uh, free stuff how many of you like free stuff okay the only thing better than food is free food, right? I love free food. It's good. Has anybody been to Costco on a sample day? Anybody been to Costco on sample day? Same, Sam's Club, same thing, right? Right, that's why I take my kids there and say, kids, just walk around and eat until you're full, okay? We are not leaving as long as you are hungry, okay? Right, we love free stuff. And this is why the gospel just grabs our hearts, doesn't it? Because it's the understanding that we can't save ourselves and that salvation is a free gift of God. It is good news. It is God's grace for you. But hear this. It'll cost you. It will. 
the story we looked at, why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Was it because he was unrighteous? Because he was a bad guy? Because he was going the wrong direction? No. He was thrown into the lion's den simply because he was faithful to God. His faithfulness to God is what caused the pain. His faithfulness to God is what put him in this circumstance. And we have to understand this. This is exactly what Jesus said would take place. Jesus talks about this on multiple occasions. And I said, this is the broccoli part of the message. Here in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is just leading up to before he's going to go away. And here's what it says in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. That is why the world hates you. Listen, we like the, the version of faith that says everything's going to go well when I follow Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. When you follow me, people ain't going to like you. Okay? This whole faith thing, it ain't free. It'll cost you something. Okay? He goes on and he says this in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mountain. There's all these great things. Blessed is this, blessed is this, whatever. And when you get to the end of this thing, blessed, verse, five, uh, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Why did Jesus say this? Well, just, just saying it for fun. No, he's saying it because it's probably going to happen. He's saying this so when it does happen, you can say, oh yeah, Jesus told me this was going to happen. I'm not off course somewhere. I'm not like, I didn't mess this up somewhere. I haven't gotten distracted some way. No, I'm doing the right thing. If I'm being persecuted, that's to be expected as a follower of Jesus. Faith ain't free. It'll cost you, okay? I referenced uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 a couple weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this. If you've ever read Hebrews 11, it's, uh, it's kind of the faith chapter. It's the faith hall of fame. It's these amazing people of faith and the way they were faithful to God in some of the most challenging circumstances. And, he, and it's one of those, you read it, it's inspiring. It's all the good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. And then you get toward the end of this in verse number 32 of, of chapter 11, and it says, and what more shall I say? He's just given a list of all these amazing people. He said, says, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, that's good stuff, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And if you're with me, you say, amen, I want that kind of faith. That is good faith. Thank you. That's a good faith, right? I want the good stuff. I want the power. I want the, you know, brought back to life kind of faith. But if you know the chapter, you know what the next words are. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stone. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. We, we like the, glare, the glamorous faith, right? We like the glamorous faith that says, I come to Jesus and he makes everything better. 
And God came to save your soul, but the reality is in this world, you will have troubles. Just is. If you want to be faithful to Christ, some of you walked in the door and you're like, whoa, I haven't heard this before. Well, you might not have heard the whole gospel. I've said this before. The gospel is good news, but there's no good news without the bad news. All right? And so we, when we follow Christ, when we are committed to him, it'll cost you something. When I read this list, you say, I'm like, man, well, I'm not going to get sawed in two. Like, I'm not, that's not going to happen in this nation. Guess what? There's other parts of the world where today that's absolutely happening. We are in the most persecuted season in the history of the church. There are more martyrs today than there were 2,000 years ago when they were throwing them into the Colosseum. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And in our world, increasingly, it is more toxic to follow Christ. And if you think your version of following Christ is the whole American dream that I'm going to follow Jesus and everybody's going to like me, you are going to be sorely disappointed when that isn't the case. Okay? Following Christ, it's going to cost you something. It may cost you friends. It may cost you friends. It may cost you relationships. There may be that boyfriend, that girlfriend, and you realize, you know what? I can't continue in this relationship if I'm going to stay faithful to God. It just isn't an option. There are going to be people that walk away from you that say, I don't want any part of you if you believe that, if you follow that king, right? There's also opportunities or times where you're going you're gonna to lose an opportunity. There may be a, a promotion that you miss out on because you are being faithful to God. In fact, I talked to a friend in the last two weeks and he said, I can't take this promotion because I know stepping into this is gonna force me to compromise some things in my following Christ. It'll cost you to follow Jesus. It just will. Sometimes it'll, it'll cost you influence. There's people that'll tune you out because you are following Christ. And it may even cost you financially. That's the reality of following Jesus. Oh, is it good to follow Jesus? Absolutely. But if your understanding of following Christ is it's all, it's all just butterflies and unicorns, then you've missed it, all right? It'll cost you, all right? Jesus said this, count the cost. He didn't say that because it was a cute thing to say. He said it because it's what you have to do. Count the cost. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Do you really want to make him Lord? Not just when the lights are on, but when it gets hard. Point one, faith ain't free. Second point is this. Trust acts like it. Trust acts like it. Hear this. Trust isn't a feeling. Trust is a behavior. Trust isn't a feeling. It's a behavior. You ever had somebody tell you, I trust you, I trust you, but everything about their behavior proves that they don't actually trust you. You don't actually, you're not trusting me. You don't put it, you don't believe that I'm gonna do anything. You don't trust me. You know it. But how many times do we come before God on a Sunday and we sing, God, God, I trust you. I trust you. Question, do you really? Just because you say it, do you really trust him? You know, we look at Daniel chapter uh, 6, verse 23. It gives us the the reason why Daniel was willing to take the, the lion's den. It's this. What does it say in verse 20? When Daniel was lifted from the den, no one was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. See, him taking the lion's den was merely putting action to the reality that he trusted God. If he didn't trust God, he wouldn't have operated that. Do you think he was wanting to go to the lion's den? No. 
But he said, God, my trust is in you. My hope is in you. Come what may, I trust you. I choose you in every way. He stayed faithful through the hard thing. We say we trust God sometimes, but let's just be honest. Sometimes we say it, but we won't do what he's commanded us to do. God, I trust you. But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> we don't really trust that he knows what's best. If we've got the choice between what I think and what God thinks, I'm going to go with what I think because I trust my understanding. No, no, no. Then don't, don't bother singing you trust God then. What's the point? You don't really. Remember, it's a behavior. It's not a feeling. It's a behavior saying, God, I trust you, and I'm going to prove that by the way I live my life, by the way that I, that I submit myself to you. And that's another, we say, we say, God, we trust you, but we won't forgive that person who's hurt us. Why? Because we say, no, God, I'm not going to let them off the hook like that. I don't care what you said about forgiveness. I don't care that you said that if I don't forgive them, then you're not going to forgive me. I forget that. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in my own intellect that says I can't let them off the hook. But if we trust God, then we have to behave that way. And say, God, I forgive even when I don't want to because I trust that your ways are higher than my ways. Right? We say we trust God, but we won't submit to authorities. Right? We got an attitude towards authorities. Right? We say, well, God, I trust you. Here's a little one that'll medal, but we don't tithe. We don't put God first in our finances. We say, God, I trust you, I trust you, but not that much. I give you a little bit at the end. What's a tithe? If you don't know what a tithe is, tithe is giving God 10%, but not just any 10%. It's the first. And why is it the first? Because it's an act of trust. It's saying, God, I put you first, and I believe you're going to take care of the rest. But some of you say, God, I don't really trust you. If there's a little left over on the back end, maybe I'll give you something, but I'm not entrusting my life to you that way. If we trust God, then it means all things. We say, God, you are first. It's our behavior. Our actions prove our trust before God, I don't know the area of your life where maybe you struggle to trust God. If someone looked at your life, there might be areas in your life where they would say, eh, that doesn't look like somebody who trusts God. <laughs> There's nothing about their life, the way they live, the way they invest, the way they spend their time that says they trust God. And so what is that area in your life where you need to put some action, where your trust needs to go from being a feeling or a thought to actually becoming a behavior? That's what trust is, right? So we continue eating our broccoli here this morning. I'm going to get to the final one. And this is a real, just a big old fatty piece of broccoli here for you at the end. We're going to get to the big so what. I always say so what, what's the point of this thing? And I think we've missed, um, a lot of times when we come to this story, we miss the point of this story. And our big so what will speak to it, all right? The big so what this morning is this. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. See, the end of this story is not that Daniel is rescued from the lion's den. That's not the end of the story. Oh, that's where I stopped reading, and that's where I stopped telling you the story, but there's more to this story. The story here is about God being glorified in all the earth, okay? What do I mean? You look at the story. Look at verse number 25 of chapter 6. It says, after all the stuff happened, the story's over, the people getting eaten, all that kind of stuff. Verse number 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. And he writes this line. This is a pagan king. Remind you, a pagan king writing this declaration to all the people. May you prosper greatly. Verse 26, I, being the king, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. 
For he, crazy, this is a pagan God. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. Do you understand? That's the point of the story. Why was Daniel rescued? We like think, oh yeah, God loved Daniel so much and he rescued him. He did, but the whole purpose was to demonstrate his glory and his power to the ends of the earth. The people who didn't know about who he was would have a revelation of this God. It's not about you. It's about him. And the sooner we understand this, the sooner we recognize this is the moment when we actually can experience freedom. Now, the starting point of faith, when we're babies in faith, right? We're babies in faith. We come because we hear the good news about us, right? We come because God's gonna save us. He's gonna redeem us. He's gonna make us new. And listen, that's good news. And it's true, okay? But hear this. The gospel includes us. The gospel invites us. The gospel saves us, restores us, and redeems us. But hear this from me. The gospel is for us but it is not ultimately about us. And when we make it about us, we've missed the point, okay? The gospel is good news for you, but it ain't about you. It's about his glory, that God would be made, that we would know who he is. That's what you were made for. You think, well, that doesn't sound like fun. I like it when it's about me. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a person who was all about them, so self-centered and self, so self-focused and at the same time full of joy and peace and happiness? No. Why? Because that's not what you're made for. You weren't made to find glory in yourself. You were designed to find glory and peace and hope as you see God and you are in relationship with him. That's where the good things come, all right? And so what is the goal? The goal of our life is to to glorify God, to worship him, to make it about him, to make his name known in all the world, and then to share that hope with everything around us, every person, every relationship, every person in school, on the job, in your neighborhood, in your family. That's the goal. That's the purpose of our lives. It's not about us. It's not how can I milk as much joy out of this life as possible. It's how can I make great the name of Jesus? How can I demonstrate his goodness and his power? That's where you'll find joy. See, in this life, you are going to experience uh, supernatural moments. You will. This past week, we saw some of those supernatural moments. As we saw God set some kids free. As we saw powerful moments when God met students, revealed his love. Some of them saw freedom from bondages. And there will be those moments in your life where God will do the supernatural. But you need to understand this. The point of that isn't that you're so awesome so God did a miracle. It's not that you're so good, it's that he's so good. And the whole point is to demonstrate his goodness and through your life to reveal his goodness to others. You realize what took place in this story? One man, one man's faithfulness toward God. One man submitted to God. God used his life to bring the hope of God to the ends of the earth. What would happen if we would do the same thing? What would happen if we would say, God, our lives are for your glory, not mine? How can you use me? I want to challenge a few groups this morning. Again, I know this is a broccoli message. But this is the one we need to get a hold of. 
And uh, there's some of us here this morning that I would say you probably, uh, <clears throat> you're, you're in a place where if you're honest, you are living for you. You live for you. It's all about you. You use your, your resources for you. You use your time for you. You use your energy for you. You use everything you've got. It's for you. And this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond again and say, God, I want, to, I want to make it about you, not me. God, how do I give you the attention? There's a second group in here, and it's probably some of the same people, and it's this. You have lost any passion to share the hope of Christ with somebody else. It's just not there. You don't see your role as being one who brings the light of Christ where you're at. And you need God to waken your spirit up again. I want to give us an opportunity to respond. Would you stand with me across the room? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to pray for you right now. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, that you are calling us, Lord. There are times when you give us things that we don't necessarily want to hear, but we need to hear. And so, God, I am praying this morning. I'm praying that you would move in our hearts. God, that you would call us back to yourself in a powerful way. Lord, I'm asking that uh, for those who just have feel in their hearts, God, there's just, there's some things in their life where, where they are just making it all about them. There's no thought about making it about you. God, I pray that you would bring conviction in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would call their hearts back to you in a new and a fresh way, Jesus. God, for us who have gotten cold to the reality that there are lost people around us and our, our desire and our purpose is actually to speak the name of Jesus, to declare the hope we have in Christ. God, I pray that you'd shake us up and wake us up again, God. Wake us up, God. Wake us from the slumber, God. Wake us from this, this complacent attitude, God, that we forget what our purpose is. We forget why we are here, but instead, God, may we be surrendered to you completely, desiring to make great your name. God, you have saved and redeemed us not to sit on that hope, but to share it with the world. God, would you spark a fire in our hearts once again, God, to do that, Jesus. To do that, Jesus.